Hi, everybody. I'm Jeff Hunt, and this is Human Capital, a goal span podcast. On Human Capital, I interview top business thought leaders to uncover the deeply human aspect of work. I'm excited today to talk about the data. I'm talking about major strategic business research that leaders should pay attention to. My guest today is Mark Vickers, who is the Chief Research Analyst and Data Wrangler at the HR Research Institute, or HRRI. HRRI is part of HR.com, which is the largest HR social networking and resource site, I believe, in the U.S., maybe even more than the U.S. I will hear about that from Mark. Over the past four years, Mark has helped HRRI establish a leading-edge HR research service that has produced over 100 major reports, along with infographics, case studies, and other products. Uh, it sounds like Mark's been very busy. Uh, he regularly presents HRRI's research findings via webcasts, virtual events, live events, and podcasts like what you're listening to today. Mark has worked in the fields of business research and communications for most of his career starting at the HR Institute at Eckerd College and then at the Institute for Corporate Productivity, Nielsen Media, and Burson by Deloitte. And by the way, uh, Josh Burson has a great podcast as well. If you search Spotify or Apple Podcasts for the Burson Academy or Josh Burson, he's got some fantastic content. And lastly, Mark graduated with honors from Eckerd College in St. Petersburg, Florida, where he continues to live. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Chad. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And I like to start our guests with a common question. Take us back to the beginning of your career and share with our listeners who or what inspired you to go into business. And in your case, ultimately become a researcher. Total serendipity. Honestly, it was all right. So I started off as a as a teacher, and I did teach abroad, and I taught um, I taught in St. Petersburg. I was I was teaching kids uh, GD courses and some mathematics and some things like that, and um, I just got to a point where I wanted to try some new things. Uh, kids will wear you down after several years, and I thought, well, I'm going to go back to, to Eckerd, which was across from where I was currently working. Um, from which I graduated a few years previously. And I went into their, um, their HR department and uh, was just looking around for what might be around. And there was this uh, job for researcher that had to do with HR. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll give that a shot. I'll go interview. I ended up doing an interview with a personality, Jay Jamrock. I don't know if you know Jay, Jeff, but He's, he's been in the HR field a long time. He's a very personable guy. He's very much a character. And I got the job and I started working for, for Jay um, and Professor Bill Pyle at the time uh, for their research institute. They, they had a basically a think tank that was uh, devoted toward Fortune 500 companies. Basically, they would put together what we used to call environmental scanning. And we would just look at everything across the board related to not just HR, but, but social and demographic topics and try to synthesize them into uh, binders. So we would put together like, I don't know how many binders there were per year, but like 30 uh, in any given year. So we were really cranking stuff out. And then HR professionals would put them behind them and they'd have a whole bunch of uh, big binders, you know, to show 
how much they knew about this stuff. This is a little bit pre-internet. And then once the, the internet hit, everything changed. It went online and of course uh, the whole world changed. So we were doing this just a little bit before the internet and kind of as it was getting going. Um, so that was my, we, we were working out of a trailer and I would go in there and work late nights and sometimes sleep on a sofa. And it was, it was good. It was a good uh, young man's thing to do. And I just learned a ton by doing it. Really cool. Yeah. So tell our listeners a little bit more about HR.com. I mentioned it in, in your intro, but you know, how many total members does HR.com have? Maybe what's the primary value proposition? Um, Demograph is just the, the motivating force. She started HR.com quite a few years ago, and uh, she's just knows so much about the organization. I think it's the world's largest uh, social network for human resource professionals. And we have, I think, something in the area of 1.3, 1.4 million uh, members. Uh, you can get a, a free membership by going to the website. We also have some paid memberships. Um, by getting a free membership, you can access all the free material. There's a tons of stuff. Uh, the reports that uh, we do, if you're a free member, you can access those reports and download them via PDF and things like that. They're typically sponsored reports. So the people, uh, companies sponsoring them want you to read them. We want you to read them because we're trying to uh, our tagline is maximize human potential. So not just trying to maximize the potential of HR professionals, which we, we try to do very strongly, but to help them maximize the human potential of all the people that they're serving within their organization. Pretty valuable resources, it sounds like. So yeah, we think so. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about, you know, you, you have the the benefit of living and breathing the data every day. And what I'm curious to learn from you, Mark, and I believe our listeners would be also, is about what the top two or three most significant strategic, possibly even disruptive trends that we will see in the world of work in the years to come. Oh, man, that's a big question, Jeff. All right, how much time do you have? No, I'll try to answer it in a fairly succinct way. But, um, you know, a year ago, we would have answered the question differently, right? Uh, we didn't know about the pandemic. When I was uh, working for the I4CP, Institute for Corporate Productivity and, and HRI, um, we did write about pandemics as a possibility, but we'd never experienced a major one like this, but we were, you know, forward-looking, future-thinking, and we knew it was a possibility. And I remember writing uh, like trend watchers, we call them, and putting those out to people. Uh, but now we've actually experienced one, and this has just been a major event. Uh, recently, we did a, a research report on changing work arrangements, and we found out that um, virtually, well, let's say 75% of the HR people we asked about said that uh, their work processes had changed dramatically wow. over the last year. So dramatic changes in work processes. We also asked them about culture and not as many said that a culture changed dramatically, but um, like, I can't remember what the number was, 25, 30% sort of strongly agreed that the culture was changing. So it's been this enormous change. Um, so the pandemic has spurred it, but remote work and flexible schedules have just taken off uh, over the last year. We're also asking them to look forward and this is not going away, according to the people 
we're, we're talking with. They think long after the pandemic is gone, a lot of these uh, changing work processes, the changing cultures, uh, flexible scheduling, uh, remote work, hybrid models of remote work and, and in-office work are going to stay. So things have just radically shifted. Those are not going to go away. So that's that's top of mind for everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, if, if some of you are thinking, well, give it six months, we'll be back to where we were before. That's not what the HR people are thinking, most of them. Sure. That's uh, here to stay. Uh, another thing that's happening, obviously, is artificial intelligence. We're, we're seeing um, artificial intelligence being embedded in uh, HR systems constantly, and they're getting better and better, sometimes dramatically. And um, what's also happening is AI is affecting the world of uh, risk and cyber security these days. So, for example, you know, you've heard about deep fakes where you can um, just have a look like you have a person speaking on the screen. That person may not exist or that person may not be actually saying what they're talking about. So identity is, is a big topic these days. We don't know where that's going to go in the future. What we do know is that artificial intelligence is here to stay. Mm -hmm. It's not only going to change uh, HR software, which is, which is dramatically changing in many cases, especially changing things like talent acquisition. Uh, it's changing things like onboarding. It's, it's um, changing learning and development quite a bit in order to personalize learning. So those things within the HR function, artificial intelligence has changed a lot, but also it's just changing the way people are working and how they're doing the work. Um, another piece of research we did asked uh, how quickly is um, job roles within your organization changing? So the, the structure of your job, how quickly is that changing? And it's changing very, very quickly. And it depends upon the, the uh, organization, but uh, HR people are looking at these things and they're, they're trying to figure out how they're going to keep up with changing job roles, uh, how to connect uh, human capital with um, artificial intelligence so people do their jobs differently and more productively. So these are some of the other things that are that are happening. Well, I'm curious to hear more, a little bit more about the artificial intelligence piece and how that may come to fruition for businesses in especially in pragmatic terms and not only for leaders and executives to leverage to improve workplaces to improve productivity to improve even culture but speak for a minute too to employees who sometimes approach this topic of ai within their corporate realm from a place of fear because they don't know how employers may end up using AI in ways that they're unaware of or may not necessarily benefit them. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, a, a lot of thoughts. And, and nobody really knows, Jeff. I mean, I wish I could be Cassandra and tell you exactly what's going to happen. Um, but basically, obviously, in the transportation industry, we stand to see a lot of changes. Um, if AI powered transportation really takes off, then you will see a lot of uh, jobs lost to, to that particular functionality. But that may be, you know, some people think it's gonna happen very quickly, some people disagree. But even within the HR community, a lot of people think AI means automation. And sometimes it does, right? Sometimes you maybe you can uh, 
automate uh, a, a cab service or something like that. But for the most part, and I think HR people are starting to understand this, it really means augmentation rather than automation. So let's say you have a customer or service employee. Um, they're probably not going to go away, right? They're still going to need to talk to customers. They're still going to need to, um, salespeople are still going to need to do all the things they're doing, but they'll be augmented with uh, more and more sophisticated artificial intelligence so that let's say um, someone when someone calls, their name comes up on the screen, but at the same time, um, the artificial intelligence will, will feed uh, valuable information to that person in real time. Hmm. And maybe it will um, not just tell you about the things that they've been doing, but uh, things that are perceived as their needs. They may be recording things. And as it records, other things will pop up and say, well, maybe you'd be interested in this, or maybe this is uh, information that would that would benefit you. So it's really having the artificial intelligence augment what another employee is doing. And this, I gave that example, but it's, there's so many, many other examples. Um, I do a lot of writing and editing and things like that. Well, there's artificial intelligence now that they're finding uh, can write nonfiction pretty well, pretty quickly wow. in, really? in a fright, frightening way. So, you know, it, it stands to change some of what I do, but what journalists do and business writers do and um, the way to, to synthesize information, which would take longer than previously. So there's a lot of really advanced and sometimes frightening things out there. Um, and it really depends upon the utilization. So. Uh, I could talk more about how it's applied to learning or sure. um, talent acquisition, but I'll, I'll stop. Them. And what about if, if we extend this conversation over into performance management for a minute, I would love to hear your thoughts on the, on AI, the future of AI in performance management. And of course I run a performance management software company. So we have a unique and distinct interest in this topic, but I'm interested not only in what we're going to be seeing with AI and performance management in the future, but also share a little bit with our listeners about just the evolution of performance management in general. Sure, it's a fascinating topic. Uh, and we've done quite a bit of longitudinal research over the last four years on this topic. And I just got off a call with advisory board members. So these are very much experts on this that were helping us put together the, the newest survey for this. Um, so obviously performance management goes back to performance appraisal and they tended to be once a year type of um, interviews with your manager and it was more cookie cutter and a lot of people hated it and a lot of people didn't see it as actually improving performance. Some people thought it was doing exactly the opposite. Um, in recent years, and there's still some of that skepticism of performance management. And sometimes, sometimes it should be there, depending upon how an organization does it. But clearly, there's been a lot of movement toward more continuous performance uh, management, not just appraisal to, to distinguish those two things. So maybe organizations are still doing their annual appraisal or semi-annual appraisal. But there's a lot more emphasis that we're seeing on just continuous feedback loop and strengthening performance by having good conversations um, with employees. And sometimes AI can help uh, mediate some of those 
feedback and communication. AI is getting pretty good at, at doing some of those things. So that's one possible usage of it. But also it's affecting the productivity and performance of employees themselves. Um, performance management is less and less seen from, from our research. It's less and less seen as something that is used to, for example, establish compensation rates or uh, weed out weak performers, some of those things that are they're more old school. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, um, but increasingly it's looked at as the way in which you can help employees learn and grow within organizations. So it's, it's very much increasingly tied to L&D, it's tied to engagement, it's tied to um, uh, employee experience. Everybody's talking about employee experience now. So the, as as the paradigm, HR paradigm itself changes, performance management changes. That doesn't mean that it's changed overnight. There's still a lot of skepticism about whether performance management um, ratings, for example, actually accurately reflect employee performance. Uh, and some of that skepticism is coming from the HR people who have are using or even designing some of these things. So we're in the process of, of making this happen. Um, but I, I do think performance management is also becoming more team oriented as opposed to individual oriented. It's sometimes hard to discern the difference from what an individual is doing versus what their team is doing. And people, people don't, very few people have a job that is just dependent upon them. Everybody's very much dependent upon the ecosystem and the teamwork within their organization. So I think performance management is changing uh, to reflect that as well. But uh, go ahead. Do you see ratings, numerical ratings? You mentioned those. And I'm curious about this because I'm, I'm curious if, if you see those going away. When we do implementations, we're seeing fewer and fewer companies actually use numerical ratings. Now, it's still very prevalent, but <laughs> in our space, oftentimes what we see is challenges around the ratings because you may have someone that is a very high performer in terms of overachievement on their goals, but nobody can get along with them. So are they really a 3.0 or a 3.5? And then sure, of course you have rater bias and you have recency effect, you have all sorts of problems associated with that. But in your in your experience or what, with what you're seeing, will ratings eventually disappear? And then what will we do with the data? How are we actually gonna, Yeah, that's the paradox for organizations, right? Sure. And I, I... Wish I could answer that question, Jeff. But I, I think what's happening is that uh, we're still doing appraisals. We're still doing ratings. Many companies, of course, you're looking at them. I think along a different number of variables. It's not quite as linear as it used to be. You know, you got behavior, you got values, you have uh, whether you're meeting your your goals or OKRs or, or whatever you're using within your organization. Um, so I think they're more multi-dimensional, even where we do, are doing appraisals. Obviously, they're not strictly top down like they used to be increasingly you know we've had 360s for a while but i think they're becoming more widely adopted um but i i think that maybe the ratings are less important than the conversations you know the ratings are are still there i don't i don't know that they're going to go away um but just the the constant conversations how to teach managers to be better at interacting with employees um, our research shows that HR professionals are kind of skeptical of some of the um, performance management skills of managers, and maybe they're skeptical of HR people as well. So I'm not saying that one or the other, but 
uh, even HR people think they are not delivering enough training and development to managers to do that job well. So there's some of these things. I think it's becoming more human focused, a little less um, appraisal, liquor scale focused, all that, all that kind of thing. Right. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that helps, but yes, this is some of the takeaways. Yeah, it is. It's great information. And so let's shift a little bit on the data because a lot of the work you do is in kind of the macro space, right? So you guys are doing these massive research studies. You're coming up with all the trends, building out reports so that organizations can better understand what's going on. When you look at the smaller company, small to medium-sized companies, and you, and you turn that focus inward, do you have any thoughts for leaders about what sort of data they should be trying to mine internally we were just talking about one way to mine data, which is through performance management, but there's also many other ways like surveys or pulse surveys. What things sure. should they be looking at? I think they should be looking at multiple things. Um, you don't want to rely on one instrument. Assessments are, are clearly here to stay. Uh, a lot of companies are, are using assessments now when they're doing high volume recruiting, especially. Uh, when we're talking about you know smaller and mid-sized organizations, they don't always have the same resources to purchase these, these huge systems and do investments in all kinds of different assessments. So they have to pick things, um, you know, really select what they want to work on this year. They can't, they can't cover the whole, the whole gamut. So I think one of the things you can use is something simple like an NPS survey um, to kind of just a feel for how employees are seeing things, whether they would themselves how they reflect on the company? Would they would they recommend uh, the company to friends and, and peers and things like that? So that's that's a relatively simple way to get an idea of how employees are feeling about things. So that's that's one, and you can leverage that once you know kind of what they're thinking about. Then you can start to focus on some of those specific areas. Now there are automated tools. There's sentiment analysis, and we were talking about artificial intelligence. Some of those things. Um, not all that many companies are using things like sentiment analysis, which is a, a natural language tool where um, you can have an AI in the background sort of reading through emails, not to, you know, not spying on you, but just trying to get an idea of, of how the company as a whole is feeling about things. So that's kind of what I mean by my sentiment analysis. I think that's sort of an up and coming tool, but it may not be a tool that a, a small and mid-sized organization uses. Um, so I think just conversations with people, you know, exit interviews, uh, stay interviews are super, super important in order to get a feel for uh, how people are feeling about the organization and then try to address those issues within the organization. So if you're finding there's a trust issue uh, between managers and employees, then, then how do you build trust? What is that gonna take? How do you derive uh, better conversations between managers and employees. And it's difficult in this remote work environment, right? So you kind of have to work at it uh, differently and maybe harder than you did 12 months ago. It's interesting because we have all these data points and this great information, and yet it seems like it always comes back to the human element, the, the relationships, the conversations, the trust, the, the culture, the core values. Would you agree sure. with that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all about humans in the end. Um, yes. and, and we, we try to I think we don't do it with evil intentions or anything like that, but we, we create these bureaucracies and structures and sometimes it's 
groups for we want to be fair right we want to be consistent but you can't take the human element out of these things it's really really important yes have you read the book humanocracy i haven't read that yeah like it's that. actually a great read that speaks to exactly what you're talking about so um yeah yeah for sure pick it up but uh okay so thinking about these company these smaller companies maybe small to medium-sized companies that are looking at their own data points isn't it risky if they try to go do a data capture or run a survey or get information and employees know that they're doing that but then they don't take action on that information yeah i mean it's a common failure um if you don't think you're going to act on something maybe you shouldn't ask the question yeah. Um, but, but employees are often nervous about answering questions. Honestly, that's the other part, you know, yeah. if, if they feel like their answers aren't anonymized effectively, um, sometimes maybe you want a third party to, to intervene, to kind of protect them, uh, protect who they are. So they feel more trusting about uh, answering things in a accurate, reliable way, forthright way. Um, so yeah, there's, it's not, it's not easy. You know, you, you, we talk about these things and they sound easy sometimes when we first say them, but when you get down into the nitty gritty, there's a lot of things to, to think about. Yeah, no question. Yeah, I, I like to equate it to, you know, if you're going to do a survey or a data capture and you don't do anything with the information, it's kind of like the farmer doing the harvest and harvesting this bumper crop and putting it in the barn and letting it rot. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, that's right you're losing out on all this incredible value. In fact, a lot of times it can have a counter effect because employees will see that you've done that and then you don't do anything with the results. So they think, okay, I've invested all this time and helping you provide, you know, providing this information and then you don't do anything about it, so. Yeah, no, and I think we've all experienced that, right? We've all been in a meeting where somebody's gathered your feedback and everybody's been really nice. Everybody's drinking coffee, eating cake, <laughs> um, making everybody feel good and, four months go by, nothing's changed, right? You, yes. you gave them all this uh, feedback from your heart um, and nothing changed. And then you grow very cynical about the whole process. So you're right, you, you, can't, you can't ignore that feedback. You have to act on it to some degree. Yep, no question. So let's move into some lightning round questions. I'm gonna ask you uh, questions that you haven't heard, give me top of mind responses. You don't have to think, there's no right or wrong, but we'll see where we go with this. Okay. First one's super easy. What are you most grateful for? I'm grateful for my health right now, given everything that's been happening. No question. <laughs> and, and my family's health. I should really distinguish everybody that's yeah. close to me. Yeah. Yeah. No question. What is the most difficult leadership lesson you've learned over your career? Don't help people too much. Don't, don't micromanage folks. Uh, let them learn on their own. You can't, you have to be kind of a safety net not to allow people to make huge mistakes. But people are going to make mistakes and they, they learn from mistakes. And it's hard to find that balance. And I think I, I didn't allow people to make some of the mistakes they needed to make. Um, so trying to find, you know, how much leeway you give people has been a challenge. I think it's a challenge for any manager, but I, I've learned. Um, that at least it is a challenge and I have to be thinking about that constantly. It's a great piece of wisdom right there. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. Who is one person you would interview if you could, living or not? 
I'd love to interview one of the founding fathers of the United States. Let's go with Ben Franklin, um, just to see what they were thinking, because so much of what they did was just phenomenal. And yet, so many of the mistakes they made have really come back to continues to haunt us as a as a country, but as a world too. So it's it would be really interesting to talk to some of those folks um, and try to get their perspective on things. That'd be a fascinating interview. <laughs> no yeah, question. yeah, I would love that one. Do you have a top book recommendation you can give our audience? Any books that you've read recently or that over your career that you really think highly um, of? Yeah, you know, I, I'm reading, I, I want to make sure I got the title right, which I may not, Ministry of the Future, okay, um, which is a science fiction novel. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of about what may happen uh, as a result of global warming. And, and it's it's very interesting because it's not just about that topic. It's about people. It's about uh, organizations and how people relate to each other and how large groups of organizations, including nations, corporations, things like that, relate to one another. So I, I found that very interesting uh, topic. So that's a, that's a piece of fiction I would throw out there. So what's the single most important thing you would want our human capital listeners to take away from our talk today? I think the most important thing is to, to look at the data about human resources, but to keep an open mind and an open heart and sometimes uh, to do what, what you really believe in your heart is, is the right thing, even if the data is a little iffy on something. So. For example, uh, we were talking about performance management. So, so maybe you're going to read something that says um, you need to uh, have people do a survey every week or something like that. We have to think about that in terms of your own organization. Is that going to work for us? Does that fit our culture? Sure. Um, interrogate the ideas and don't just go with somebody saying this is the right thing to do. You have to think it through and feel the context for what it is. That's great wisdom. And it also kind of concludes everything with the critical element of making sure that we're inserting the heart or the human element in the data that we are both capturing and leveraging for trying to make change internally, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't lose the human and human resources. No question about it. So, well, Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release a new episode of Human Capital on the first and third Tuesday of each month. I would really like to know what you thought of this episode. Send your comments to humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human kind.